Crossing Broadcast here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. That is the kind of music that I like to jam out to as we get ready to start an action-packed episode. My favorite band in the whole cake. wide world. Love cake. A little cake there. Love me some hey, cake. Hey, by the way, is Oh Yeah going to be your thing now? I don't know. I think it might be. <laughs> you okay with that? You did it for two different shows. I I'm, did. I don't know if it's going to be like a Russ tagline. Now. Yeah, I'm going to be like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. A continuity and familiarity. That's you what know, it is. I think that's what you're looking for. <laughs> exactly. Those we're, are looking buzzwords. F- we're looking for synergy across the platform, across the station, and here we are. That's right. Vertic- vertical integration. Hor- what's the stupid buzzword that the corporate people like to it's tell It's vertical you? integration. Vertical isn't it? integration, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or horizontal. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is. Vertical, horizontal, diagonal, all of them. All of the integrations. All right, anyway, we've got a lot to get into tonight. We've got the Sixers playing poorly. Hey, they won last, last night, didn't they? Uh, against a bad Charlotte team. Oh, okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too hyped about that game. Win, that Sorry. Game. Um, we have an Eagles bye week. Really riveting stuff. Nice thing. The Eagles couldn't lose a game on a Sunday, which meant, there was first. No, which meant that there was no uh, no reason to go out and, and kill or, or uh, That's a good criticize thing. Carson Wentz. Right? They're tied for first. They are. I'm finding a lot of positives. Losing on the, losing on the tiebreaker. Proud of you. And uh, the Flyers are playing really well. And the Phillies are actually, uh, you know, making some decent headlines, even though um, baseball at this point, eh. but we'll get to it because people care about the Phillies. We'll get to all four of those teams. And if you want to call in with any points on any of the Philadelphia teams, heck, maybe you have a, a fusion point. You have a union point. Rest in peace to the Philadelphia soul, though. You can't have a soul point. No. The league has uh, has now announced that they're going to fold. I know the producer Ryan back there absolutely devastated that the Philadelphia soul you can't be seven for seven anymore. It's only six, six for six. Six for six now. We're going to have to find a new a, team. It's a hard day. 888-728-9941. It's 888-728-9941. Russ, are you going to introduce yourself or us? I, I guess. All? Sure. Over there, the man you just heard, that's Kevin Kincaid. Follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. How's everybody doing tonight? You think they're going to answer back? They're answering back in their cars. Yeah. Over to my right... Mr. Happy himself, Anthony Sanfilippo. Find I'm, him on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. I'm Mr. Positive all of a sudden. And by the way, one thing you didn't tease for the show. What? We've got Kevin's Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's end. right. The Mount Rushmore, so prepare for it yeah, today. we're going to give you that a little later. We're going to have to give that. I, that might have to be middle of the show. I don't feel don't like we give it. Kevin's Mount Rushmore's enough well, time. Well, so you know what he's doing tonight? Uh, we could say what he's doing. We just won't talk about no, it No, we got to tease it. You, that's the whole point. You tell people that they got to stick around, but you don't tell them what the topic is, and then that makes them stick around. Uh, uh, All yeah. we can say is that it's a, we say it's a delicious topic? Yeah, it's, it's a good it's, one. It has to do with cuisine. Yeah, there you go. Not lean cuisine. Yeah. You don't want to miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Lean cuisine. Yes. Well, you know what? Somebody who might need lean cuisine. Let's get it out of the way. I have a confession it's, to make, actually, before we start. I didn't go to the Sixers game last night. What? Um, you watched it, though. No, there's... Oh, of course I did, yeah. I wrote about it, so I hope I hope I would have watched it. But uh, no, I went to the Tower Theater for a show last night. Oh, in Delco, baby. Yeah, actually, my first time there. Um, it's great. It's a great, great venue, venue, isn't it? It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't realize how big it is, mm-hmm. how, how big it is. It's like... Uh, what word would I use to describe it? It was... Uh, it was cavernous. Yeah, I'd say it's a good word to describe it. I'm making a bit. I'm throwing my hands in the air, making like a like I'm big or something. But uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was my first time there. Went to see King Diamond, who's an old school rock and roll heavy metal guy, and it was fun. I had a good time, and I didn't really miss much uh, being at the Sixers game. You know, it was, you could just watch it, and it was another boring win uh, over the Charlotte Hornets. So I feel like they play 15 times a year, and they always play them early in the year, yep. and the games are always boring. 
there's never anything really interesting to take away from them. You know, they won the game. They've they let Charlotte go on a run at the end of the second. There's some boos that you could hear on TV. Uh, they let him f- maybe Brett threw the bench out there too early at the end of the fourth, and they came back and made a little bit of a run there. But yeah, it wasn't very inspiring, was it? You know, it just was not inspiring to me. I think a lot of people still had a bad taste in their mouth from the way that the road trip ended with the horrendous 35 to 13 quarter that Denver put together and uh, losing three in a row out there. No, I don't think that team lost three in a row the entirety of last year. I think they've the, they had a two-game losing streak at the beginning of the year last year, and they had a two-game – well, it's not really a streak. They lost two games in a row later in the year. But, yeah, I mean, it's just there wasn't much to take away from it. Um, you know, I guess Furkan Korkmaz is probably the, the story, right? Is that probably the biggest if, – if we're looking at positives and negatives in, with the Sixers right now, would you say that – Furkan's probably one of the biggest positives right now. Well, we needed to grow Obama, Kevin, and <laughs> I'm very proud to say that Furkan has done a great job. Seven for 14 last night, three for, uh, three for eight from three-point range. You know, variety of stuff, not just bombing, and not just, ironically, not just bombing from deep, but, you know, getting some nice cuts to the basket and his off-ball movement is a lot better. He could very well be the best player coming off the bench right now. You know, we joked. Is it crazy to say that? We joked about him a little bit uh, a couple weeks back, but... Pleasant surprise looks for you, good, man. Yeah, he's always been. You know, it was funny because Brett said last year, uh, and I didn't really. Th- I, I I remembered the quote, but I didn't really think much of it uh, when he said it. He says Furkan. He said Furkan has some swagger to his game. I'm thinking, really, that's uh, you know, that's not really something that you would think of, which would describe uh, you know, a Turkish shooter. Uh, you know, because it's not like he, you know, normally you would say like a guy who is a one-on-one isolation guy who can dribble drive and put some moves on people and maybe grew up at the playground. You know, you might say they have swagger to their game. I didn't think of Furkan as having swagger, but he made a behind-the-back pass for an assist last night. You know, he does have some really good moves, um, especially the pump fake where he sets where he holds his set point high and he's able to reset his feet very quickly. He does kind of have a little bit of baller in him. It, it's hard to to kind of fathom, but when you look when you watch him a little bit, you see it, you know. And they need a shooter off the bench because they don't, you know, you're getting Josh Richardson's been, you know, hot and cold a little bit. Tobias Harris has had some good nights and some not so good nights. Al Horford has had some great nights and some bad nights. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think more than anything when I, when I watch this team, I think the story is that I, I just don't, I mean, this is a Negadelphia take after, you know, the only playing a handful of games, um, yeah, but nine games, if you think about it, is like eleven percent, ten or eleven percent of the season already. But I don't, I don't think that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons look any different than they did last year. I want to go there. I think they look like the same player. I want to go there because I think it was at the end of last season I had brought up on a show that I think it was you and I doing that at some point you have to have the question of did these guys not reach their peak too soon? But is there a certain point where as a rookie or even as a second-year player, you get to a level that is realistically going to be where you plateau and that you aren't either able to add a certain skill set or you no longer feel motivated to have to do so because you found such success? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I think is what we're seeing. I think that the Ben Simmons... It, I have said since his rookie season that it's not his inability to shoot. It's his unwillingness to shoot. Correct. And I got crucified on on Twitter about having that, like daring to have that take because it was always, well, he, he gives you so many other 
unique skill sets. He gives you elite passing ability. He gives you elite vision. You don't need him to shoot. And my point as a rookie was, if there's ever a time for him to jack shot shots up, it's before you start hitting that contender status. It's when you don't have to, when there, the expectations aren't there. And he didn't do it. And after a summer of seeing Zapruder film, after you know heavily edited Zapruder film, we we once again are in a situation where Ben Simmons not can't shoot, won't shoot. But he won't shoot, yeah, because you see. Even in in pregame situations, he's jacking up a bunch of shots, you know, and and no problem or whatever. It's you know your your take I think was probably panned, and that take anybody who had that take was probably panned last year and the year before because people were always going to say, well, it's only his second year or it's only his first year or whatever. You know, now it's his third year. You get uh, you know that that take doesn't the, the longer the timeline is that take doesn't really work anymore because he can't really fall back on that he hasn't had a lot of games or time to develop it, you know, and he because he came into the league being elite at four different things and there was only one real flaw in his game you could even say well you know there's there was only one thing that he had to really work on you know, it wasn't like he was only good at passing and shooting and he had to work on dribbling dunking playing defense and you know uh traveling better learning how to get better sleep or something like that. you know he only really had one focus because he was already an all-star based on how good he was in other areas but which by the way he reminded people of in the preseason or it was like one uh, or yeah. two games in where he said you know if well, if, I'm an all, well, I'm, I'm an all, star. I'm an all star. Yeah, yeah. I'm an all star without having that shot. And he made a leap too. I think. I think in a, in kind of like a maturity or like like of you know or just addressing that issue when he said, "I know, I know, it's I'm not that great at. It. I know it's not my thing." He said it to a national media guy. You know, local media couldn't get it out of him. Um, but I've always been kind of fascinated. Like, I would like to turn this into an exercise because we always like to do an exercise on the program. And I, you know, it, it's always impossible. I think to try to compare professional athletes to like you know jobs that we do jobs that quote-unquote normal people do but you know I, I try to do it anyway maybe it's ridiculous but I used the uh, the example on Twitter last week where I said you know if you take like a of a normal job and, and apply it to Ben Simmons situation say you're like a carpenter right okay and, and you're good at like we'll pick like you know you're good at like sanding sawing and hammering but like your one skill that you're kind of crappy at or you're not very good you know you're kind of like tense with it is like you're not that great with like a nail gun right so you know you go you know you work a couple years and you you understand that the nail gun is where you got to get better you work on it you know you've got instagram video of you just like nailing things like crazy with the nail gun and we're really excited about your, your new nail gun skills you know your foreman is really looking forward to what you can do when you can finally use that and uh yeah but you just never use it you know, like it's there, you know, you're confident in it. you spend a lot of time working on it, but why would you not, if, if you have anybody in any profession who has something that they can add that makes themselves better. I mean, I think we all try to do that. You know, I think that you would say you, Russ, you would probably say that you're not the same teacher that you were three years ago. Sure. Right. I mean, like there's things that you, maybe you get better at lesson planning or, you know, working with, uh, this type of student or that type of student or whatever, you know I mean? I think you can apply it sounds kind of silly when you're talking about professional athletes you know but if you think about it like that's really the only thing that he's had to work work on or focus on you know and it's still and not I, there and be, be, because we know that he can do it and we've seen it in video it's like it's just like getting over the hump and actually doing it kind of thing and i have to think it's an ego thing because it and i'm not saying that he's this overly arrogant egotistical jerk right i think it's knowing that as it currently stands, the argument is just he won't shoot it. He doesn't want the argument to become he can't shoot it. 
And I feel like that might be the thing that's holding him back from doing it, but at some point mm-hmm. you've got to get over it. Like, look what happened against Phoenix. He had how many opportunities where Aaron Baines defended him and gave him a massive cushion. Yeah. Like, we're talking a seven, eight-foot cushion, which, I mean, if you if you go either um, second spectrum or you go cleaning the glass where you look at the the um, the space that a defender closes in on you. Right. That's a, the kind of gap that against any guard in the league, that well, guard's gonna that guard's gonna jack those shots up. And it's funny because, not to like jump in, but before I forget, like Monty Williams coaching down there now, who coached Ben Simmons last year, who knows exactly what his weaknesses are, did exactly <laughs> what what the Celtics did to the Two Sixers for the longest yeah. time. Yeah. So. And so that that to me, I think is is maybe the biggest concern because again, if he puts up two two distant shots a game or at least a couple of mid-range Js, you're not going to have that 7-8 foot gap being played off, which then means that you no longer have that defender potentially playing to to close down passing lanes. Um, it, it also gives Ben the ability, with perhaps a pump fake, to be able to get to the rim much easier than he does. I mean, granted, you have a 7-foot, give or take, gap to try to get up to your top speed, which you're not going to be able to do. That's a little bit ridiculous. But because he's unwilling to do so, it's kind of caused this offense to stagnate. You no longer there, there is no threat from the point guard position unless Hal Neto comes in or Trey Burke comes in or Josh Richardson plays backup point minutes. There's there's no th- legitimate threat of anybody from that position putting up a shot. Yeah. And and it, what that ends up doing is it shrinks the court, which means that Joel Embiid, who most people want to see lining up and getting himself in the post, it prevent it, it limits the space that he's got. It shrinks that field. It's the same idea of of in football where you talk about not having a guy who can pop the top off the defense. What happens? Defenses end up crowding the line a lot more because they don't have to fear, you know, helping over the top. Stack the box. And so the same idea plays here. And I don't know, and and this is the thing that always happens in our crossing broad slack, but like the the idea of at some some point does (laughs) his unwillingness to shoot, does that fall just on the player? Does it fall on the coach? Is there a lack of respect between the player and coach that's preventing him from going to that next level. Are you saying do, are you a, are you a believer in like the the take or the theory that uh, that Brett is too close to to Ben Ben Simmons and there's like a lack of uh, I mean how do how do they frame the take like there's a lack of accountability there because he's too close to the family or he's too soft on the player. I don't or think there's his brother. He's let his brother work with him or whatever. Like if if another coach came in who was not familiar with the family or they weren't as comfortable or whatever, you think they would whip his butt into shape or something? I don't. Know I think that's it, how they they frame I, it. You know? I don't know. I feel like it's it's kind of across the board because there are a couple of concerns I have about Joel Embiid, and it's in the similar vein where I don't think Brett Brown has the clout to be able to get to get on a guy about needing to improve his game. Like, the best comparison I could make is he might be a likable guy, Brett Brown. He might be a likable guy. He's managed to massage a lot of egos and maintain there being some level of respect and things not going public from the locker room if there is any kind of discord between players. Kind of a way that maybe Scott Gordon did for the Flyers last year, but he didn't have the clout. And you see what happens on the Flyers side of things. You go out and you get a guy who's taken two different teams to a Stanley Cup final, and now all of a sudden Elaine Vigneault has the clout to call out his top players, or to mention his top players' names in the press. And yeah. you see the way that it motivates them. The problem is, and and the thing that 
always comes back in our Slack chat is there's nobody out there right now as a coach that that's a free agent available coach who has that kind of clout. There's nobody who's been to multiple NBA finals or has won multiple titles and coaching that's sitting there waiting in the wings to, to take this team. Yeah. To the next level. And, and coaching in the NBA is, is by nature. I mean, you talk about it being a player's league as far as the way the contracts work and, you know, the, uh, the leverage that agents have right now, especially in this day and age, uh, you know, the co- coaching is probably the the in the NBA out of like all the sports or the four for four sports. It's probably like the least influential out of any anything. Because what do, what do you, what are you going to do with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? Are you going to bench him? I mean, you going to take him out of the lineup? Are you going to call him out publicly? I mean, it's such a fragile kind of thing because it's not like you know the the last three coaches to win the NBA title were Teron Liu. Nick Nurse and Steve Kerr, right? How much coaching do you think really, really went on there? You know, in your typical up and back possessions in your base offense and stuff like that. A lot of what happens on the floor is engineered by the players. You know, so when people say, well, you got to get in and you got to call this and you got to call that and you got to hold them accountable and you got to do things like that. Like the NBA is a, is just very, very hands off. I mean, it's probably like it's changed, though. It has changed. It used to be a lot more hands on. It used to be a lot more like the college game. Right. It was like Bob Huggins. You make one bad pass. I'm going to yank your butt after two seconds. Correct. You know? And we could argue about whether that's productive either. But the NBA co- NBA coaches are so hands off. You know, it's like. It's basically stick LeBron James on the floor and whatever, you know. I mean, like Mike D'Antoni, I think, came out last year and said, I try not to coach James Harden. Like, I make an effort not to do it. So I don't I don't even really know what the solution would be with with, with Brett Brown if he's going to do those things. But the, the fact of the matter is that ben, ben Simmons has tried one shot outside the paint this year. That's unbelievable. One shot. And it was, uh, it was a turnaround. Um, it was like a – Fade fade away where he was like on the baseline, baseline too. Yeah, first first game of the season. Uh, no, it was it was in the um, not the um, not the Portland. Uh, I think it was in the Portland game. Yeah, okay. and that was a twelve footer. But he actually did shoot something in the paint that was first. He shot a fourteen footer from inside the paint where it was just you know it was straight on. Um, but he's he's shooting less this year than he was as a rookie. Well, I mean, so uh, you know, every, how does it go? Back? Everybody everybody was so big on the fact that he's never shot a three pointer. But it's gotten yeah. to the point where it's so it's so bad now, where he's not even shooting from inside the At three all. point line. Because you think shooting, that like yeah. the natural progression. I mean, it was it naive for us in retrospect to think that a guy's going to go from shooting zero percent on zero shots to <laughs> shooting thirty percent on, on however many yeah. on like two or three three pointers a game. It, it was always like sequentially. You would say. You'd think that he would he might be able to hit some like floaters and some like short range jumpers and then maybe he gets be- gets better from the foul line and that's kind of a natural extension where you take another step back and another step back and another step step back and eventually you're th- a okay three point shooter, but basically we were like eliminating point B you know and we were like uh, going from point A to point C and that's like where we expected Ben Simmons to end up this year and it's been the I I'd, I'd be curious if there's ever been another player who's had that kind of progression. Or, re- uh, or like it really is a well, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. statistical. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, like I, I to go from <laughs> to go as long as he's gone. I mean, he's into his third season, and he's not shooting from outside the paint, and he's a guard. Well, let me pull this up quick. Well, so, and, and he's I, like, a, he's yeah. a guard by by decision, even if he was not by fine. not by physical characteristics. And again, maybe that's the question for Brett Brown. But you know, I, I look at a guy like Blake Griffin, right? Blake Griffin had no range coming into the league. He was a massively explosive player, good vision, decent passing ability. That's a good example, yeah. And yeah. what has Blake Griffin done in the last few years? 
He gets traded to Detroit, and it really was the end of his time with the Clippers, but since he's been traded to, or he's been playing for Detroit, he's extended his range to be a legitimate three-point shooter. Now, he's not, he's by no means J.J. Redick. He's by no means the uh, the double rubber ducky on his feet-wearing Furkan Korkmaz, the Turkish bomber, as, uh, as Brett Brown would probably call him now. <laughs> but there, to me... I look at somebody like Blake Griffin and I say, there, there is a, a blueprint there. And if I'm Brett Brown, if I'm Elton Brand, if I'm anybody in this organization, I say, look at what this guy has been able to do. And imagine if he had done it when he was at his healthiest, when he was at his most explosive, about what that would have done for those Clippers teams that were always close to getting to the NBA Finals but never actually did it. If you can get Ben Simmons to that spot where he gets over that hesitance, that reluctance, for whatever reason it is, then you're talking about a transcendent talent. You're talking about a guy who really could live up to that pre-draft hype as being the next kind of LeBron James. Well, and that's how but you with, got a frame. Without it, he's, you know, I hate to say it, and and I think it was it was our own Phil Kydell who said it once, but he he kind of is like a Ricky Rubio. He's a bigger Ricky Rubio if he's unwilling to shoot from outside the paint. A paint. bigger Rick. I, I'm not look, I'm not the biggest Ben Simmons guy, but I, he's better than Ricky Rubio. Well, I think Come the on. I think the na- the narr- <laughs> the narrative has to be framed like somebody has to get to him and say like, you know, it's always the one thing he can't do, the one thing he can't do, whatever, like but if you t- if you say he's elite at four different things, passing, running the floor, defense, court vision, right? And you say the one thing he can't do is shooting. Well, I mean, it's, he's great. He's elite at 80% of the game, and the 20% is what he's not good at. But but that 20%, 80, the, that 20% is so important. Weighs, weighs more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a sliding scale. I mean, we talked about that, I think, the first one of these shows that we did. But like for comparison, if you look at – so Ben's 23 right now. Giannis was was did not you know Giannis if you look at the way that he shot the three pointer over the years he went from fifteen percent to twenty five percent to twenty seven percent to thirty percent by age twenty three which is what Ben is now you know and he was only taking one point nine per game but again the difference is that Giannis was willing to watch an air ball fall into the crowd and uh, bounce into the crowd and hear the boos and hear them chanting air ball because he could still stuff forty six points down your throat anyway. And you kept sitting there in the back of your head saying, God, imagine when those start start going in, you know? And Ben, I just I don't see it. Like, I don't know where the, like, it's it's a mental thing with him. Joel's still turning the ball over. Looks horrible against double teams sometimes. Um, it's just a lot of – it's one thing to say, like, all right, well, you know, you don't want to play him a lot of minutes, and you're not really worried about Joel in November. You're worried about him when he gets to the playoffs. But, I mean, do you want, do you want the number one seed or not? It's yeah. important. Home, yeah. home court's massive. Yeah, and you and you have you know factors that have nothing to do with like his fitness level or like because it's November. Like if a guy can't read, still struggles reading double teams now. Like that's not because it's November. Like it's because he's has not improved reading double teams. You know, or he's still very casual in a lot of these post up possessions. Uh, they're they're turning the ball over more than anybody this year. They've actually regressed as a team. They're the worst turnover team in the league right now. Eighteen point eight. Um, Brett had something to say about that, which was pretty good, right? I mean, he basically just said, like, we're uh, – what was the the euphemism that he – it was like, yeah, we're built on sand. Yeah. It's a house that's built on sand and we're fool's gold. Yeah. Which is kind of contradictory to what he said in the past because he's kind of brushed off the turnover thing. Yeah, he's kind of said, well, it's not the, the be-all, end-all, you know, because if you look at – you know, if you look at teams that were historically bad in turnovers in the NBA over the last couple of years, Golden Golden State Warriors were like a number two or number three. So if you turn the ball over, um, 
you know, 20, you know, if you turn the ball over 17 times a game, but you also happen to be the number one assist team and you're throwing the most passes out of anybody, that's it's fine. I mean, obviously. You- well, I, I guess I guess the question is, and this is maybe maybe this is why Brett's taking this tact. Tell me if my, I'm right with this. Um, in the past, it wasn't as big a deal because you had players who could chuck it up from the outside, like a J.J. Redick, right? Mm-hmm. So your possessions to turnovers, it, you know, you're getting more possessions, you're getting more threes, you're getting more points. Even if you turn the ball over, you still have enough chances to score. But that's how the war- that's well, that was the, the Warriors. That was the team. Warriors, like, right? You, okay. They would hit three three pointers in a row, and you'd be right back. This yeah, team yeah. doesn't do that anymore. Right. They play a different brand of basketball now. All of a sudden, the turnovers are a little bit more paramount. Well, it's crazy to me because while that's true, the the, the <laughs> it's like insane to me how this how this works. But the Sixers are number one in the league at limiting opponent field goal attempts. Opponents are only shooting eighty three shots per game against them. Uh, while the Sixers are shooting 88.7 per game. So they're out shooting teams by like five or six field goals per game, even while being the worst turnovers, which is which is crazy to me. But the, the thing is where they get the possessions back, this is more how the Sixers play. Like I think what you're describing is was Golden State to a, to a T perfectly, you know. But the Sixers are great on the offensive glass. They typically make up a lot of possessions there. And they've been getting a lot of steals of their own. They've been forcing a lot more turnovers of their own. So it ends up being a wash. And that's to me, like that's the philosophy. You know, Brett has always kind of just sort of brushed the turnover thing off to the side because he knows that they're going to make up the possessions uh, by killing other teams on the glass and playing good defense of their own. But if something's fixable, then fix imagine it. what you <laughs> could be with. It's, it's the same yeah. argument as it was with Ben Simmons because, it's like, you know, he can be great and we'll just mask this other problem. But imagine if you just address the problem and didn't and didn't just try to mask it, you know. I think where they're being killed, honestly, is like it's not you could say that they throw bad passes and it's because they're up tempo and they move the ball around and they throw like three hundred and four passes a game, which is like number four in the league this year. But they get they get killed on these stupid like dead ball turnovers. Like Tobias Harris got called for traveling twice last night. You know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are always gonna have like a a crappy offensive foul or something like that. You know, so it's one thing to move move up and down the floor and, and throw these these high risk pass, high risk, high reward kind of passes back and forth, but it's like the stepping out of bounds or like you know throwing your elbow into a guy's chest or like dumb stuff like that that you don't have to do, which is which is preventable. So I, I think that's where it kills them. Like, and even there was a point last year to put a bow on the turnover discussion. There was a point last year where that if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both cut down on their turnovers by just one one per game, one per game, like one less bad inability to read a double team from Embiid or one last one less careless pass from Ben Simmons the Sixers would have jumped from like 20 23rd in the league in turnovers to like 14th and you can absolutely live with that you know yeah I think the thing that everybody has to know about turnovers is that the gap between the bottom of the NBA to the top of the NBA is not that big so like if you if you improve your turnovers marginally you can shoot up from like they could go from dead last to like 18th if they just improve it by like two turnovers a game. So, well, and kind of to that point, I look at the game against Denver, head to head Joel Embiid versus Nikola Jokic or Nikola Jokic if you so prefer. Embiid was three and zero all time against Jokic head heads up. Look at their stats this season. Now, granted, Embiid has played in less games. When you look at in terms of usage, the way that these teams use these players and the percentage of possessions that run through them. They're they're pretty similar. Jokic is in the 95th percentile in terms of usage. Embiid's in the 99th percentile at uh, 33.7%. But the thing that's the, the biggest disparity between the two players 
is their turnover percentage. You think of how often possessions run through them. Joel Embiid is... Yeah, Jokic is is often the focal point of of what they're trying to do. Nikola Jokic, despite having a 27.9 usage percentage, turns the ball over at a 13.1% clip, which compared to all other bigs in the NBA is in the 66th percentile. You'd kind of expect it because so much of the offense runs through him. Joel Embiid, the guy who everybody knows has a big turnover problem, his turnover percentage is 15%. That's four, that puts him in the, the bottom 41 percentile Saw in, in the league against other bigs, yeah. which you talk about using a guy as the focal point of your offense. Joel Embiid, the number one thing, it's not the fitness. The fitness thing is a concern because in back-to-back games, he's failed to get to 30 minutes. He's put up less than 20 points in consecutive games after going, I think it was 5 for 16, I want to say, uh, in his first game back. Uh, in the, uh, well, I know he was yeah, it was, six. Yeah, it was five, 5 for 16 against Utah, 6 for 17 six against, for 17 Den- against it, Denver, yeah. and then 6 of 10 against um, Charlotte. My issue is this guy still can't this read a double this team. Guy. He still can't read a double team. Well, it's, And it's, it is it is unfathomable to me at this point that for as much as people want to go after Ben Simmons, rightfully so, for not shooting the ball, that Joel Embiid presumably hasn't done much in the offseason to work on quicker decision-making and that this team somehow, I don't, I'm not down at the games like Kevin is, but that as a group, there's not better communication when a double team is coming. He His inability to get out of that and then to throw up errant shots, knowing that a lot of times he gets to the line, that to me is a backbreaker because sometimes, unfortunately, the ball gets to Joel Embiid and it's a black hole. The ball stops moving. He gets himself into ISO situations where he ends up putting up a bad shot, looking for contact. And unfortunately, like after a while, that, that doesn't work. And when those double teams start coming and he can't find an open, an open man along the, uh, the perimeter, it becomes a real issue. And it's been the same story since he's been a rookie. And if there was one thing I was looking at him to do going into the season, it should be he should be a dominant player from the post. He should have a, 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 next, level, um, uh, a next level ability in terms of like court vision. Jokic does it. They're a similar frame, although I think Embiid clearly looks more toned. Jokic looks like he ate uh, half of a Jokic from neither last guy, season. Yeah, neither guy looked like they're uh, but, uh, but, in fantastic shape right now. But Jokic has amazing court vision from that position. I still don't understand how Joel looks like well, the same Joel, player he was as a rookie. Like every once in a while, you'll see him throw like a brilliant cross-quarter pass that shows you that it's it's in him somewhere. It's just it's reaching down and, and like pulling that out of him and just getting him to like, you, you know, be, be, show more purpose on these possessions. Yeah, I saw a stat that somebody posted on Twitter today where I think Embiid's average touch this year is like 2.4 seconds or something like that, which is ridiculous. I mean, think about it. I just caught the ball. One, two, and a half. I mean, like that in basketball, that's an eternity. You know, because he's getting into these post positions and he's like turning around and he's like slowly looking and he's facing up. And he doesn't know where he is. The other guy, guys clear out. But it's it, it's it's like purpose and like assertiveness in that. And I just don't see it from him, you know. And I understand it's – you know, the early part of the year, you know, maybe it'll it'll improve as the as the season goes. But uh, you know, and, and Brett Brown can help with that too, because there's got to be he likes to be hands off. He likes organic basketball. He wants them to figure it out on their own. But um, you know, at some point, you just got to get your hands in there because organic basketball becomes inorganic. Uh, they just start dumping it into Joel Embiid and in not in not great post positions, too far from the basket and stuff like that. And uh, that doesn't help the situation either. I thought Brett had a really poor. Uh, fourth quarter in the Denver game I thought he you know obviously he was culpable for he was just as much uh, a problem in that loss as everybody else was 
on the other side of the break, I want to get into something that I, I think might be dogging Joel Embiid. And, and I think there's now enough evidence to see off the court that this might be playing into Joel Embiid's early season seeming off a little bit. And that is the what people thought was the addition of, by subtraction of, of Jimmy Butler going to Miami. I think it might be playing head games with Joel Embiid. I want to talk about that a little bit on the other side. Plus, we've got Eagles topics to hit and a little bit of Phillies. If you want to jump in, 888-728-9941. This is Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. And we are back here on the Crossing Broadcast on 610 Sports, ESPN Radio in Philadelphia. And uh, guys, we have breaking news. Ben, ben Simmons put up a no, shot. No. no. Can I guess that? Go ahead. Is it the AL Rookie of the Year? Well, that too. But this is... This is this is an advertisement breaking news. <laughs> then we'll get into the AL Rookie of the Year. Jordan Alvarez uh, was a unanimous AL Rookie of the Year. But anyway, DraftKings, so you know, has launched an online sports book created by sports fans for sports fans, and it's now available here in Pennsylvania. That's right. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, and they've brought their expertise to legal sports betting. And it's already America's top-rated sportsbook app. The DraftKings Sportsbook app has it all. There's over-unders, there's player props, in-game betting, special odds boosts every day for every game, including the biggest ones. This isn't some offshore operation like some other gambling sites. It's a legitimate sportsbook based right here in the good old U.S. of A. So you can rest assured that your funds are totally secure. Get in on the action wherever, whenever in the Keystone State. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code CROSSINGBROAD, all caps, when you sign up. And for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Now, normally we throw this to Bob Wankel, who's off today, uh, for his pick of the week. Um, Russ, you're going to use some of Bob's information no, I, I looked this up myself. No, Stop just, it. no this is Bob. Is it, wait, is that your Bob? This is, is my your, Bob. I'm wringing my hands Bob like Bob does. All right, gentlemen, let's get into it. <laughs> he does. Wait, so, Ted, did you know he did a Bob? Yeah. So, uh, Phillies, uh, blah, 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 blah. So. Carson Wentz. <laughs> going into the game tonight, the Love 49ers you, are a six and a half point favorite. And uh, per Bob's research, they are minus 275 right now um, on the money line. San Francisco eight and zero at that uh, at those odds carries an implied win probability percentage of seventy one point four percent since the start of the two thousand three season. Home teams favored between five and a half and six and a half points. They're favored by six and a half tonight. In primetime games, are forty three and eighteen straight up. That's a seventy point five win percentage. So if you're going to do a bet, go flat out, go straight out. You got to go with forty niners. At two seventy five though, it's. Not getting a lot of. It's going to cost a lot. Yeah, not getting but a lot. But it's a, of, but it's, 70%, but it's a very solid. 70%. It's a solid bet. Although I will say this: no George Kittle for them tonight. Bids their best receiver, so that could uh, could change things. Not carry Kittles. No. Anyway, if <laughs> you if you want to make that bet and bet the 49ers using Bob's information, you should do that on the DraftKings Sports app. Download it right now and uh, put the code in Crossing Broad to get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That's only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older in Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for those details. Deposit bonuses require 25 times playthrough. If you've got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let me throw this out to you guys. I want to know what you think. Oh, God. 
No, it's not DeAndre Hopkins. Stop shaking your head, Ryan. <laughs> no, we, so, there was some sad news out there today, Russ. We, I don't think we we got to bring this up real quick. Charles Rogers, remember him? I, yeah, mm-hmm. former uh, Lions uh, Lions receiver. Rest in peace. 37, 38 of liver disease. Liver wow. disease, and they said he, uh, he had been recently famous. diagnosed with cancer. That's sad. Thanks for bringing us down today, Ryan. Your beard's doing the same thing, buddy. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Your clearance rack old navy shirt is too. These two, these two crack me up, Kev. I, I come walking in. An adult size. I come walking hey in, and they're sitting across from each other, and they're having their little kibitz. And Russ is here. Russ stops now, and he gets a full like turkey hoagie. He gets his little tasty cake cupcakes. He's got his <laughs> he's got his Pepsi right, and him and wild and cherry him, Pepsi. It's wild cherry Pepsi. And him and Ryan are like going back and forth about their clothes. Yeah. Like I mean, it's like it's like this new bromance that we've started. They're gonna take their act, their act to Sea Isle City. Yeah, and, and Ryan's like, you know, Russ, I don't have your phone number. Lacosta. And Russ is like, I'll give it to you. And he's like, what's your number? And and Russ goes, Oh, I was, I was just gonna I was just gonna call you so it's, that way you could just save it in your phone. It's that much easier. We're gonna set up a play and, date for the kids. And, and Ryan's like, Let's um, go. Ryan's like, man, just give me the number. And he's like, so he reads it off. And, and you know it's five seven zero because he's from Schuylkill County. Whoa, I'm whoa, not, I'm not reading the whole number. Am I, I violating my number? And then, Hold on, San Filippo. Hold on, I'm pulling I'm up six, Anthony's I'm number. Six I'm six one zero. There you go. I'm six one zero. So uh, so it's, you know five seven. I'm right. And it's like oh five seven zero. Where's that? <laughs> it's like, uh, I was like it's like this whole bromance <laughs> thing between these two yeah. is just killing me. You guys, are, you guys me. are gonna be like live at the Sellersville Theater in three weeks. <laughs> You're gonna do. Well, if there's a theater, San Filippo is probably there directing the <laughs> That's thing. That's right. And bailing on going to Flyers games for it. So, yeah. but no, I'll pick up the slack. It's fine. Roast me. Okay. Two Schuylkill County guys. <laughs> is that the act? Is this like two broke girls on the scene? Like, is that where we're gonna go? <laughs> two broke guys. Two broke, two broke skooks, two as broke we call guys. ourselves. Yeah, All yeah. right. Um, oh man. Okay. Let me throw this out. So Joel Embiid oh doesn't look 100% engaged on the court, and it seems like in post-game availability, he hasn't been totally there. He was after the cat, after the catastrophe of a fight and the <sighs> suspension that ensued, but he doesn't, he doesn't look like that same guy. He doesn't look like the engaged guy that we thought we were going to see coming into the season, and these are. I, I feel like some of the, the you mean fighting fighting a guy and then calling him a wussy at, uh, on Instagram is that what at you two, two is thirty that what in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> radio friendly. Version. Okay. Yeah, that's not what you're looking for. He's looked. He's looked disconnected. Let me just throw a couple things out because there there was the theory. There's been a theory going around uh, on the Twitterverse and on certain uh, certain other sites about there being a possible disconnect between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Not good when your franchise cornerstones might not get along. Joel Embiid in all but, I believe, two of the games that he's been active in playing for has brought up Jimmy Butler by name. Oh he, sounds like, he sounds like he misses his friend. We're not really doing this, Ben Sim- Hold on. Now, Ben Simmons, who, log who into historically... <laughs> ben Simmons, who historically... Has not been a team-centric guy with his language after games. Has seemingly turned over a new leaf this season. Jimmy Butler recently said to Chris Haynes that there was a bunch of BS that didn't come out about his time in Philly, but it would come out eventually. And if we connect a few of the dots here, I start to piece together that Ben Simmons likely had the conversation with the front office, probably Elton Brand, that he did not like how the end of last season went down where the ball was taken out of his hand and he was relegated to the the dunker spot. And that if he is to be a long-term franchise piece, that can't fly. 
And so what we saw was the ensuing trade of Jimmy Butler and bringing in Josh Richardson, who I do like, and freeing up the cap space to bring in Al Horford, which I also like. But Jimmy Butler's gone. J.J. Redick, who was the best one-two player on the team with Embiid, opened up the floor quite a bit for Joel Embiid to operate out of the post, is also gone. And Ben Simmons was given a max extension. Ben is going out of his way to now be a more team-centric speaker after games. And if you remember, at like, throughout the fight with Carl Anthony Towns, Simmons is the first one in, puts him in a headlock, and goes right over to Embiid and says, I got your back. There wasn't much of a... Uh, there wasn't much of a reaction to that by Joel Embiid, who just earlier had been smiling, nodding, pounding chests with Mike Scott. I guess the only thing I'm saying is I feel like at this point, Joel Embiid might feel like he is no longer the number one focal point to the front office because two of his favorite guys to play with are gone. And Ben Simmons has has been given this max extension, and it's clear that the team believes that he needs to be a focal point of the offense going forward. It doesn't feel like it's just Joel's team anymore. It feels like the front office has decided to to split it between the two of them more publicly than they had in the past. Uh, let me give you the too long, didn't read version of that. Uh, ben Simmons uh, and Joel Embiid don't have an amazing relationship off the court. Like it's serviceable. Uh, Jimmy Butler was a Joel guy. And Jimmy was not a Ben Simmons guy. And that's probably the source of the discord. And everybody is going to have to grow the hell up, get over themselves, and get on with it. Because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have enough talent if they take the respective step up steps up in their game that this team uh, can get their bleeping trophy back. Oh, that was the Phillies. I got my Phillies. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I'm going to use that. I, I did that on purpose to segue us into the Phillies. Um, do you, uh, gentlemen, have any thoughts on what JT Realmuto said about the offseason today and the fact that he felt uh, like they were going to spend more money this winter or that they didn't have an issue spending more money? That's your team. They have to. There's really no alternative. Um, the one thing that I was a little disappointed with the uh, Phillies with that they've come out and said is like they they basically t- have taken themselves out of the mix for free agents who took a qualifying offer because if they were to sign them they would have to give up draft pick compensation mm-hmm. and they basically came out and said well you know we're you know, we we've lost our, our farm system is so depleted because some guys have graduated up and other guys have um uh we have not been able to draft where we wanted to draft because we had to give up draft picks to sign certain players we don't we don't want to keep bleeding out those compensation picks to sign free agents so i I don't know how they're going to spend money and not go after big name players that that have qos um but i like what he says i mean it basically, I think Real Muto says it either one of two reasons. One, he has knowledge that they're going to go out and spend money, which is quite possible. He is a team leader. I think he's a guy Middleton stopped to see when he was thinking about the Kapler decision. He stopped off in Oklahoma to talk to Real Muto. Um, so I think that there's a guy, you know, there's that. Or he's putting a little bit of pressure on the uh, front office to say, yeah, go out and spend money to make us a better team so we can. Uh, 
so we can win next year. Here's what he said, uh, quote, from my talks I've had with people in the organization, they know we have needs. They're going to do whatever they can to make them. That's the beauty of this organization is that they want to win right now. And John had made it clear that they want to win and money isn't going to be an issue for us. If we need guys, we're going to go out and get them. If we have to pay for them, we're going to pay. We're in a place right now where we've invested a lot into winning. And last year, obviously, was a huge disappointment. And there's a lot of moves we need to make. So I definitely see them being really aggressive this offseason. Now, he also like kind of parlayed that into he was asked about his future. And he said that he would he'd be open to signing here long term if they made him an offer that uh, I think he said took took. I think he said, quote, took care of my family or we were taken care of or something like that. So, yeah, it does lend some some credence to your thought that maybe he's trying to move move things along. I think on so. His own it's here, you it's know? not the first time that there has been a change in narrative around the team. Remember, like last, I think I said this before, but when they signed Bryce Harper, there was still kind of the, the notion from the front office of not pump the brakes, but not the feeling of going all in. It's now the second time this offseason that someone has come out and said that they want to win now. Well, you know why, you know why that narrative changed last year? Because they didn't think they were getting Harper. Yeah. And once they realized that they said, all right, now we're going to have to spin this. How are we going to spin it? And they started to slowly do that. And then all of a sudden, Harper was was willing to come here yep. and, and sign for the money. Um, so that's why. But I agree. I think that you're right. When you hear the general manager say it's, you know, it's time to win, when you hear the, you know, your best player from the season, um, I guess you can argue if Harper or Real Muto ultimately is the best player, but from last season, Real Muto was the MVP of the team. Um, and when you hear him say that, you know, we got to win now, we want to win now, and we're going to spend money, I think it has to happen. Because if it doesn't, <laughs> it's going to be a long summer well, next year. And there's there's also a massive part of this that's important, and that's Real Muto has one year left on his deal. Yeah. He's a UFA after the 2020 season. Yeah. And because to what you said before, Middleton went to check in with him for his thoughts on Kapler. The fact that it sounds like, per his comments, that there have been conversations about spending money. It feels like if you're going to lock up the guy who your social media team has consistently branded as the best catcher in baseball, if you're going to try to lock him in long term, you're going to have to spend the money. Because JT Real Muto, there, there's going to be a massive market looking to get his signature on a contract. He said in these comments that as long as it's a reasonable offer for both sides, a fair contract for both sides, he'd be open to it. The one thing when you go back and listen to the clip, you can hear when a player deviates from the typical kind of PR standard line and then opens up about a, a personal attachment or personal anecdote and where he sounds the most genuine, not to say that he didn't sound genuine in the comments that he made about the team spending money, but where he really sounded, there there was a, a bit of a of a tonal change. It was when he talked about how the organization has treated him and his family. That's where you got that feeling that this team has rolled out the red carpet, they've done all the right things, and they've continued to be that Phillies organization that you hear former executives, former players, saying that they want to come back to be part of the organization, they want to be around the organization, they're always applauding the, the things that the organization does. Real Muto sounds like a guy who enjoys Philadelphia, has enjoyed his time, but maybe more than anything, has been appreciative of the way that the organization has treated him and his family. And that goes a long way. It, there are a lot of unknowns when you go into free agency. Is it nice? He said it's exciting to think about going into free agency, but also tempered that with, you know what you have here, and you know the way that you've been treated. That's massive. So I want to get to this real quick, because I know we have a lot to do in 10 minutes. Um, two guys that have 
expressed interest in returning to Philadelphia. I want to get your guys' opinion for the Phillies. Do you want them back? One is Cole Hamels. Yes. Take, I mean, it's like a third or fourth guy. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm in th- I'm of the same yeah. mindset. Yeah, Rush he was, was good. Great. He was good last year before he before he had before the, he got um, hurt. What, what was it? it was ob- oblique. oblique. Yeah, oblique. Yeah, oblique. Yeah. He was really good at Wrigley, though, right? Wasn't it? He was. There, well, there he's was, always been was, a, he's always been good at Wrigley. But it was though. it was like wasn't it the second half of the he, his, year? His his his, his, stats, his numbers before the injury were all star caliber. Yeah. yeah, he was really really good. Then he missed I think five or six weeks and he came back from the oblique and he was terrible. Yeah, the road home splits were. Pretty massive, though. Difference in ERA, I thought, right? Well, that at the end of the season, yeah, yes, okay. but not that was necessarily, yeah, that was injury-related. Um, I, I would be fine with it, but that can't be your big pitching acquisition. No, no. As Who's a, your as second a, guy? Cole and Cole. Like, get, get Cole and Cole. I love and then it. We're happy. Here, here's a Do quote. the deal. Here's a quote from uh, today's Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm going to read the quote first and see if you guys can figure it out who it is. I have had conversations with folks from the Phillies, and I think they know how I feel about the organization, which will always be in my blood. I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't want to work in the organization in some capacity again. I would love to come back. It's home for me. You can't bring back Lenny Dykstra. Kurt Schilling? No, not Kurt. Oh. I know who it is. is it John Crook? No, I would have, if, if I had guessed before this, I would have said maybe Ed Wade. Not Ed Wade, but you're on the right track. Uh, who else is on the 93 Phillies? <laughs> Ruben uh, Amaro. Ruben Amaro. Uh, Ruben Amaro wants to work for the uh, Phillies again. I don't think that's a good idea. Probably well, it dep- a good I idea. It depends on where he's at. As long as it's somewhere that doesn't have any kind of public sure. you know what, face though? to when, it. No. When you look at Ruben Amaro's tenure now, well, Actually, well wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It. And that kind of feels like a, a common a common theme about GMs for the Phillies, right? Like Ed Wade was so was so panned when he was in the role. But then after the fact, you said, wow, you know, they really did get the organization set up to take that next step. And, right. and Pat Gillick pushed all those chips in. I think Ruben Amaro got a, a he got a fair amount of criticism. I would say he was almost like a Paul Holmgren-ish kind of guy. Yeah. He, he, wasn't, he, took as, advantage of he the, wasn't as bad as everyone made him out to And be. he took advantage of the assets and the money that he had to go yes. out and make the signings to try to push the team over. Right. He wasn't great, top. but he wasn't as bad as everyone made him sure. out to be. So, yeah, those are the two. All right, quick uh, Eagles points here before we get into uh, my Mount Rushmore. Uh, Jordan Matthews official today. Any thoughts on that? No. Brandon Brooks <laughs> extension today. Any thoughts on that? It's excellent. It's great. Well yeah. deserved. Best guard in, in the NFL. He's, good, uh, he's, good he's, NFL. A, he's a great. He's a great um, bounce back guy. Good sports story. Yeah, I mean, considering he had the anxiety issues in 2016. Then pancaked his way to the Pro Bowl, to another Pro Bowl, to Super Bowl. He had the Achilles, and he came back in less than eight months. We'll have to less che- than, in, in eight we should check with Ryan, because I did a radio show here at 610 uh, the year before the Super Bowl, and I had Brandon Brooks in uh, live, oh. and we talked about his anxiety. We'll do it live. And it was, it was fascinating. It was one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done. To him just it up. to him dig talking it up. about yeah we should check get Ryan, Ryan to do something around here if he's, um, he's not even paying attention We've I said will his name give Ryan times. Lennox a tasty he's probably cake putting in a if bet he right uh, now. looks up that audio <laughs> oh look at him you completely missed the look all. at him just completely missed in. us talking about you for five minutes that's wow. all right Jim Schwartz made another Spinal Tap reference to his second one in two years <laughs> uh, is he like secretly a heavy metal guy or I think that's awesome I'd like to talk to him this about is Spinal Tap is one of my favorite movies yeah these amplifiers go to eleven. Uh, what was your favorite Andrew Sandejo moment as an eagle? <laughs> the one where they cut him. Uh, I got to read you this terrible quote. Uh, hang on one sec. I will pull it up right now. Carson Walsh, uh, or Walsh, or however the hell you say it, uh, the wide receivers coach for the Philadelphia, your town, your team, your Philadelphia Eagles. 
He said of Mac Hollins today uh, that he said, quote, this is him on Mac Hollins. He says, quote, at the end of the day, when Mac Hollins grades out for us, he's one of our top graders every week because he aligns right. He assigns right. And he plays with great effort. We believe (laughs) we believe that when the ball comes Mac's way, he's going to make that play for us. That play is a drop. Uh, Yeah. Hang on. Let me hang on. (laughs) That's <laughs> the only response you need to that one. That's terrible. Uh, he, the guy hasn't caught a caught a pass since September. Gold star right. for effort. All right. Um, <sighs> Dallas Cowboys stink. They lost. They're five and four. There's a scenario where both teams finish ten and six, and then would come to the third tiebreaker. You know, which would be common common opponent because which the Eagles you, are ahead on right now, right? Yeah. So just say so. Here's the Eagles' remaining schedule. Patriots, Seahawks, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, Cowboys, Giants. The Cowboys got to play Lions, Patriots, Bills, Bears, Rams, Eagles, Redskins. Uh, so if you're saying that, let's say that the Cowboys lose to the Patriots and they lose to the Eagles, then we'll say the Eagles lose to the Patriots and the Seahawks, but they run the table against the crappy teams and beat Dallas. 10-6, and six, they both would be 5-1 and one in the division, 1-1 one and one against each other. Right now against common opponents, Dallas lost to the Jets. Um, they lost to the Vikings. They lost to the Packers. So they're one and three, while the Eagles are four and two. So if it gets to the third tiebreaker, they're in. The Eagles are going. The right Eagles now. are going to win this division. Oh, there he is. They're going to win the division. Mr. Positadelphia. All right, I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore of macaroni and cheese right yes. now. Yes, macaroni and cheese. I'm actually kind of hungry. This is the I, most excited we've ever been for a Mount Rushmore. I, know, right? I love yeah. it. This is my Mount Rushmore. Number one. Well, there's no numbers because they just appear on there in whatever order, right? Uh, I'm going to give you a Cracker Barrel. Am I allowed to say that? Is that racist? <laughs> cracker Barrel. No, uh, Don Cherry. You, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you people. I mean, you people and your mac and cheese. Um, yeah, that was my wife's go-to food when she was pregnant. Uh, cracker Barrel. Uh, it's expensive, but it's worth it. Um, I'm gonna give you a uh, Velveeta shells and cheese. I'm gonna put on there. Top. That's awesome. I'm gonna give you uh, Stouffer's in the red box. Uh, when you you know for uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, when your mom just throws it in the in the oven, and then it, hey, ready to go. It's as good as anything that's homemade. And then number four, I'm going to give you the old the old craft mac and cheese. None of this new, none of this new uh, crappy craft mac and cheese before they made it healthy because that killed the taste. The old one that had like the uh, the artificial preservatives and the that's like the store brand the flavors and the dyes and stuff. Which like in that. Canada they call craft dinner. They call it craft dinner. Craft dinner. They don't call it they macaroni. They can keep Don and Cherry, and they can keep that nonsense. They call it craft dinner. So I was looking this up, and they said uh, the new mac and cheese doesn't use artificial preservatives. Uh, it includes 720 milligrams of sodium, uh, but they got rid of it. It was of uh, they re- they keep they removed the flavors and dyes in December of 2016 or something like that. But to keep the yellow orange glow. <laughs> Kraft swapped out artificial food colors, including yellow five and yellow six, for natural spices like paprika, paprika, tur- turmeric, or however they say turmeric, turmeric, yeah, and anato, anato, whatever the hell Anato-do. that word is. Yeah. Um, that's my Mount Rushmore of mac and cheese. It's Cracker Barrel, Velveeta shells and cheese, Stouffer's, and the old of uh, the angry old man Kraft mac and cheese. Well, you know that Wawa Stouffer's mac and cheese. Is that what they use? Is Stouffer's? 
Yeah, yeah, that's what that is. That's why everyone goes berserk over it. Oh, that's why they like it because it's and they and they have no idea that it's just Stouffer's. How what? about that? Once again, I didn't know that. Once See, again, Ryan? another overrated Wawa does that need item. To, does that need to be disclosed? Not made I feel by like Wawa. Like that should be disclosed. I think no. it's uh, um, false advertising. Yeah, you know what? They should. They should because people are like oh my god, Wawa, they have the best mac and cheese. And if it's just Stouffer's. Then they should have to say it's Stouffer's. Yeah, let me uh, just say something real quick. Nobody, nobody cares about sheets, about your sheets. Yeah, take. I know. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, now. Your, your sheets on. take is like the whoa. worst, the worst take in the world. No, you have to have an appreciation for Wawa and Sheets. Sheets has a fryer. I, I am not preaching Tur- one over the other. I am saying that. Can you turn what, off your buddy's what mic? Pennsylvania yeah. should do. There we go. Oh, okay. Thank you. Come Thank you. On. You know no. what Don Cherry said, said about the Sheets people? He said, you people, <laughs> you people. could at least just buy a Wawa. Fried uh, mac and cheese by are so the bad. truth and the light. It's so bad. Hey, if by the way. If, it was, if everybody was supposed to wear a poppy, you as a Sheets person would not wear the poppy. That's right. That's mm-hmm. just. Um, if you're looking for a great mac and cheese locally, I'm going to give you a, a bar Okay. in Roxborough. Are they sponsoring Maniac, the show? Not Roxbury. No. We Maniac. don't name Soon. drop. We don't drop until <laughs> no, they sponsor. They have no idea. I guarantee they're not even listening. <laughs> There's a place called Lucky's Last Chance in Maniac. Okay. Are you sure this is a bar? It, it is. It's oh, a, okay. I've been there. It's awesome. They've they they've won like they won like best burger or something it's a too. Certain kind but of. But they have a mac and cheese there that is out of this world. Okay. Completely out of this world. I'll see so. you there. Well, if they're uh, interested in sponsoring, if anybody with local businesses uh, <laughs> interested in sponsoring, reach Stouffer. out to us on Twitter. Anyway. Thanks for uh, listening to this week's show. Next week, of course, we'll have an Eagles recap, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, everything that you want. Follow everyone over on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid at Philly at Joy on Broad. Read our stuff on CrossingBroad.com. And we'll be back next week. And thank you to the vets on Veterans Day. And thanks to Ryan Lennox. And to him, too.